0: This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. All views and opinions
1: expressed are the views and opinions of the individuals and sponsors presenting them, and not the LTB network. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, Episode 17.
2: On BitcoinAverage.com, Bitcoins are trading at 49 cents per millibit. That's $490 per Bitcoin, a significant increase this week over the last few weeks, where Bitcoin was hovering in the lower 400s to mid 400s. Sounds like Bitcoin may have been listening to our last podcast, episode 16, talking about Greek coffee, finding the right fire, and a proper rise for Bitcoin.
1: Mmm, mmm, mmm. Now that's gravy. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy and thanks for joining us today as we podcast from East Nashville, Tennessee. I'm John Barrett. And I'm Lid Shaw. We're two Bitcoin enthusiasts who love to talk about Bitcoins and share what we learn with you, the listener.
2: Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy and thanks for listening.
1: On today's show, Lidge and I travel to Tel Aviv, Israel, to speak with Nissan Bahar. Nissan is one of the core developers of KeyPod, a simple and inexpensive technology that may be able to help bridge the digital divide that we see in the world today. Together, we discover that there are over 5 billion people, that's two thirds of the world's population, who still do not have access to a computer or a smartphone. Hey, people that's a lot of people. We also continue our To the the Sun
2: sun series as we talk with SolarCoin's very own Nick Gogarty, the founder of SolarCoin. Nick wrote the white paper on SolarCoin and he's just the guy we've been waiting to talk with to get the final details on the SolarCoin project and what we can expect to see in the years ahead. The future definitely looks bright for SolarCoin and for solar energy. You know, maybe it really is time we started paying more attention to that massive Massive flaming flaming ball ball of nuclear nuclear energy energy in in the the sky. sky. After all, it really is our very own naturally occurring nuclear power plant. Oh yeah, but without the problems like nuclear waste and Fukushima-style meltdowns.
1: Today, Lidge and I are thrilled to be speaking with a gentleman in Tel Aviv, Israel, Nissan Bahar.
2: Hey, Nissan, welcome to the show. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy.
1: Welcome to the show, Nissan. Thank you for having me here. N- N- Nissan is one of the core developers of KeyPod, a simple and inexpensive technology that may be able to help bridge the digital divide that we see in the world today. Nissan, can you tell us, first of all, a little bit about yourself and then tell us about KeyPod?
3: Yeah, sure. So uh, I am uh, I was born in Israel and uh, living in Italy, actually, in the last 10 years or so, uh, where I met my business partner, uh, Frankie, who is the co-founder of uh, of Keypod. I'm coming from a background uh, in technology, mainly information security, and been doing uh, security for uh, mainly large enterprises, banks, telecos, energy companies, and so in Europe. We started uh, with Keypod a few years ago uh, as a security product that was targeting that market, and about a year ago, we decided that it's time to do something better with the technology that we developed and uh, with the knowledge that we gathered and started what you are seeing today as the KeyPod project.
2: Wow, interesting. So it started out as a a security project, and it evolved into this miniature computer that's going to save the world and bring computing power to the other 5 billion people in the world.
1: We hope so, yeah. We hope, yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, so tell us more about what KeyPod is now, because it's pretty fascinating.
1: So uh,
3: KeyPod is... it's a project, first of all. It's not just uh, you know the the product uh, because it's an ecosystem of of the uh, tools, conditions, and organizations that are making this happen. First of all, we have the actual uh, operating system. Keep is an operating system that was designed to jump between one computer to the other. We are not inventing here anything new because you know OS on a stick uh, is something that uh, geeks and hackers have been using for many years now. What we are doing here is really targeting it as the main system of the user uh, which is something that is not done today so uh, we decided to go with android which is you know the most common operating system today in the world so we are running android 4.4 kitkat on your desktop and it's beautiful so imagine having you know whatsapp and uh, you know your favorite applications on the big screen it's very lightweight it's very powerful. We reduced the footprint of the system to something like 300 megabytes, which is really tiny for a desktop OS. And it's very intuitive. So where we are going, where people don't have access to computers, they find ourselves with something or familiar. Because there are markets like India, where you have 94% penetration of mobile and over 50%, which is a smartphone. So they find something that is familiar to them. Very intuitive. And people who doesn't know it at all, the the learning curve is very, very fast. And the biggest example that I have, the best one, is the project that uh, we did just now in Nairobi. Uh, We went to a school, to a street school there, and kids who are 9, 2, 13 years old, something like that, never saw a computer, never worked on a computer. After two hours, they were sending us emails.
1: Wow. So Nissan, how did you decide to go to Nairobi? And can you tell us a little bit about the Why Not Academy? I'm sure there are many academies like that in the world, but why Nairobi and what city were you in there?
3: Yeah, so we went to Mathare, which is one of the largest slums in Africa. It's uh, the second uh, largest slum in uh, Nairobi after Kibera, home for 500,000 people who live in um, incredible conditions. We were looking for a first project and our interest was to go and do it in a place where Conditions are going to be difficult for implementation. We're going to find ourselves in the most, uh, you know, uh, in an environment which is not so tech ready uh, like we might have in other areas. Mm -hmm. And uh, from the other end, it's a perfect place uh, for starting KeyPod because uh, the language barrier is not so big because uh, they speak English there Mm -hmm. Uh, quite good, and there is connectivity. We can get 3G. Uh, access uh, in Nairobi. We went there as we met uh, the guys from Live and Slums. It's an NGO that works in slums around the world. They work in Brazil. They work in Cairo, if I'm not mistaken. They work in in Nairobi. Uh, And they presented to us the Why Not Academy, which is a school that they have built in Mathare, and they support the school. It's a street school. It's one of many, uh, as um, kids there don't have the means even to go to the public uh, schools. And uh, those uh, street schools that are mainly, you know, supported by charity are the only things that the kids have. The Why Not Academy, it's a new school, is that right? Yeah, it is a new school. The guys from Live and Slums built it. They practically built it, really. They sent a group of people, they designed it, they built the school, the facilities, they built a garden, a vegetable garden, who is feeding the school Mm -hmm. inside the slum. And it's an incredible agricultural product, hooked it to the power. Uh, Although it's not really legal, the power, there is power. Also, it's operating, and it's it's really good, uh, really nice initiative. And when we heard about it, we felt that uh, Kipod might be a good fit and that we can bring, you know, with access to information at the end, which is what Kipad is about, education um, might might be empowered there. And also, and not only that, because that school is actually a base for other projects like the urban agriculture, which, which require information and access to techniques. Also, HIV prevention initiative, human rights initiatives, and so on, and are all gathered from that place. So it's all kind of little projects that require access to information, to technology, to computers for different reasons.
1: Wow. How did you first hear about that?
3: We met with uh, in Milan. Uh, Live in Slums is an Italian NGO. So we met with uh, the NGO looking uh, for uh, for one of uh, their projects to see if it's interesting. They told us about Matare. We met uh, some members of the community uh, that were brought to, to Milan by the um, Live and Slums team. And we really fell in love with the place, you know, with the with the people, the stories. And when we went there, it was quite an incredible thing because, so Nairobi is not the safest place in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. And the slum, we felt really at home. People were expecting for this. People really embraced us and we went inside a slum. We lived with them for you know for more than a week there, just you know setting up the place, uh, the hub, the school, the the connectivity and everything, and um, never felt so secure, you know. And the reaction and the anger that there is there for for this kind of of technologies is incredible. And the more amazing thing is that. You know, they are connected to the world in terms that they know that there is Facebook, they know there is Google, they know there is Apple, and so on. Mm -hmm. if you go outside Matare, just go to the highway, you see billboards for the new MacBook Air that it looks like you're traveling in California. And they don't have access to it, but they are absolutely interested in it. You know? And so in the moment we presented it, the first thing that they started doing was actually creating an email account on Gmail or a Facebook account or stuff like that.
2: Wow, that's pretty fascinating. So I just want to jump back for a moment and clarify a little further. We're talking about an operating system for Android on a USB stick that is called KeyPod that can be given to people since USB sticks are extremely affordable and much easier to get to people who can't afford you know, something like a MacBook Air in Nairobi. So this system can recycle and reuse older computers, right? Is that the way this works? You can take an old PC laptop or an old Macintosh that somebody else has discarded and use this system with The usb stick to bring it back to life and use android on it
3: what we do here we we break a few paradigms that breaking them will allow bridging the digital device to our opinion first one is we don't think that it's uh, sustainable and it's possible to bring a laptop per person in the world sure okay uh, that's just impossible. It's not scalable. It's not sustainable. It's not There's not enough material in the world for that. Mm-hmm. Okay, So this is the first thing. In order to bring personal computing to everyone, uh, we can use shared computers wisely. And in order to do that, we separate the operating system from the host. So the operating system is not sitting inside the hard drive, but it's sitting on a thumb drive. And by doing that, we actually uh, are able to guarantee... Uh, all kinds of things, especially better privacy, better security, avoiding my functions, you know, of misconfiguration of the host of or virus spread between, you know, on, on, on the host system and so on and so on. And the computers live longer. Mm-hmm. Another thing that we do, we say that instead of trying to manufacture cheap computers, which is what everybody are trying to do, you know, cheap laptops, cheap tablets and so on, they will never be cheap enough. Okay, even $50 is, is, is too much. And in a world where only in the United States there are 85,000 computers thrown away each single day, each single day, we can find computers. (laughs) We can bring them to a new home. And yes, if they are old computers, I can use KeyPod in a very smart way because it's going to be a shared computer with no hard drive, with no host operating system. You just go there, plug in, boom, Android is very slim. Yeah. It doesn't require a lot of power. It doesn't require, you know, resources. When I remove the keyboard, the next user can go there and have his own private operating system, his own private computing environment. And we compare ourselves a little bit to public transport transportation. Mm-hmm. Think about it. It's yeah. like, yeah, everybody would like to have a, a nice car. Not everybody can afford it. So you hop on a bus. It's not, not as shiny. Sometimes the air conditioning is not working, mm-hmm. but it. Gets you to work, right?
2: Yeah. So right. We're, we're doing the
3: same thing here, you know, the same thing. Uh, and we do it at the street level. We do it in the in, in a way that, uh, you know, um, the distribution model that we choose and the approach to it is going to work from one hand. Yes, through organizations, through people who are active on the field and so on. But we're going also to enable this to, you know, to have direct access, people will be able to download for free the operating system, people will be able to create grassroots projects that which what we are all about, you know, we since we started, we are seeing people are saying, okay, I'm traveling next month to Kenya, I want to bring with me my two old laptops, and I don't know, 20 devices or 40 devices, Uh, let me know where they are needed. That's really cool.
2: Yeah, it's fascinating. I think the first thing that was a little hard for me to understand was the concept of how do you get a laptop to live on a USB stick? But what's so brilliant about what you're doing is that you don't need to use all this massive processing power of the laptop by using the Android system. It's very simple. It's as simple as what I'm used to on my phone, which is already super capable and powerful.
1: And let me ask you, Nissan, are they taking the hard drives out of these used laptops first? Is that the first thing? Just get the hard drive out of there?
3: Yeah, so we prefer to- to that the, the laptop will arrive without, without a hard drive. We sat with local uh, technicians, like, like in Matario we did exactly that. So we got the computers, some of the computers still have hard drives. He provides you know, services to the school, he goes, he fixes what is not working and so on, and he removes the hard drives, he can keep them and he can sell them. And actually, it's a pretty good deal for these guys. So, uh, you know, you can get up to, I know, $60, 70 for a hard drive there, wow. So which is quite a lot in in a Matar. Yeah.
2: Also, you mentioned security, and that's how you got into this. Does this actually increase your security and your protection from viruses and things of that nature from the internet by not having a hard drive and just using this Android operating system?
3: Yeah. First of all, if a user got infected by malware or antivirus, it doesn't affect the next users okay because think about it you use the computer the operating system then you go out and there is nothing on the host the next user is booting his
1: own operating system which is completely separated so that person goes away with their key pod that has the virus on it and if they knew that then they could just get another key pod is that right yeah, they can just, you know, reset it, flash it, and boom. Is there a way to fix, to get rid of a virus that gets onto somebody's keypad so that they don't have to erase it and all of their information is gone as well?
3: One way, and it's actually a prevention way, is, which is ideal, is just go to the to the App Store, download an antivirus software, and you're covered there. Mm-hmm. And if not, you can always, you know, reset to the device and then just restore to manufacturer settings. You get... The the OS fresh, new, you restore your data and you're good to go. So this is one thing. The second thing, which is, I think, even more important, is that you are actually not leaving any footprint of your activity on the computer that you used. Data is not leaking between one computer to the other. And if you think about education and shared computer environments, um, I actually got this comment from the United States, and it was so true because um, I was speaking with uh, with one school, and they were saying this is ideal for us uh, because kids always go to the you know to the library or to the computer class, and they log into Facebook, and they don't log out, and if another kid you know yeah go to that computer. It can ruin your social life in five minutes.
1: No? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Sad but true.
2: So uh, it's cool what you say about, I like your analogy of footprints. It reminds me of when you go visit a national park and they say, take nothing but pictures and leave nothing but footprints. Nice. But with KeyPod, you can take just about anything you want and not even leave footprints behind. It's
1: pretty cool. Nice. That is cool, man. That's great. What are some of the limitations
2: as far as which computers this might work on or might not work on? Is this Was this going to work on just about anything?
3: We're targeting desktops, first of all. So, we, in this moment, we are not working uh, and not targeting tablets and, obviously, smartphones. That is real-time mobility, and we categorize it as... A, actually, as a, there is a good balance between the two. If you want, we will discuss this. Uh, now, we're targeting x86 system, but we prefer not older than 2006 computers, mm-hmm. just because we don't want to get, first of all, junk, because there is no sense you know, in bringing something that will not work properly, and because... Uh, In terms of computing power, any news website or whatever will require some computing power, right? And if the computer is too old, it's just not up to the the latest websites and and web apps. So we need to have uh, one gigabyte of RAM. We want to have at least the first uh, generation of a dual core. Uh, This means 2006.
2: I was going to say, yeah, whoo. So my laptop's just going to make the cut. Oh, man. <laughs> I think I'm still running a 2007 MacBook. Oh, man. <laughs>
1: So as far as the United States, let's take Nashville or any other city that has public schools and that has, you know, let's say maybe not the best uh, educational system set up uh, with the U.S. public schools. My friend works in the public school system in the south side of Chicago, and I would guess that the students there are less interested in learning than some of the students that you met there in Nairobi. So there are lots of problems in the public schools in the south side of Chicago and as there are in other cities in the U.S. Do you all have plans to bring KeyPod? to? these cities are there organizations that are interested in keypod now in the u.s uh
3: it's it's actually happening right now the cool thing about it that um uh, in the last 10 days uh, since there was uh, you know a major story in the bbc about us and then boom things started to, to roll really quickly we got a lot a lot of requests from the united states both from you know the more charity side and on the other, from the education side. The U.S. is very interesting for us. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but 20% of the U.S. population don't have access to computers in this moment. I believe that.
2: Yeah, I believe that too. I work in the public school system here in Nashville, and I've worked with many kids who don't have access to computers, yeah. uh, other than at school itself.
3: Yeah, so so first of all, yes, the United States is definitely a target for Kipod. The idea is that we don't require and we don't need distributors or official channels in order to move. Uh, what we've created is from one end the possibility to do a grassroots project. So anyone can decide to start a keyboard project. And in the United States, this is happening. Uh, and when we got people that started order devices. They get our computers. If they need our assistance to get refurbished computers, we help them. If it's a school or if it's a community center and so on. The second thing that we did is we started the program, now it's in beta, and we are getting applications in, in this moment for what we call a keypot point. A keypod point means that anyone, really anyone who has the space to do this can be a keyboard reseller. What does it mean? That you can, you know, get, uh, get key and and sell them to your local community. The condition is that you have at least, at least two computers that are available for public access. Okay, so you can be a little coffee shop, you can be a bar, you can be a community center, you can be anything. And this is starting to get really popular. We got uh, a lot a lot of requests from the United States, actually, from, from different states. So we are b- working on both directions. From one hand, helping people and organizations who wants to do this as a project. And from the other hand, people will take the initiatives and want to create their own keyboard point and enable access to,
1: to, to information. So, hey, is there any way that we could get you and Frankie to come here to the United States? Maybe we could all take a trip up to Chicago and do one of our shows from there. Would love that. Or right here in Nashville, right? We could do a show I've never right been in
3: Nashville. Nashville. I play guitar, and this is one of the places that I want to go. Oh, yeah. Hey, <laughs> so. well, you know, Lidge,
1: ha- Lidge has the Toy Box studio. This is perfect. You can come here and record. And, you know, this board that he has here is the same board that recorded Hotel California. I don't know if you are know you that ca- song. Are you serious? It's yeah. true.
2: Yeah, it's the same. It's the very same one. That makes sense to me that you would be a musician. When I first heard about Keypod, I thought it was some sort of MIDI controller keypad, you
3: know. And then I learned it
2: was just to help people get smarter and connect around the
3: world. Um, well, so, we are really connected to the music world. Really, really. It's one of the things, if you look at how we move and how we do things, uh, we are working as a startup. But the mood there is really, really all about the more artistic side. And, you know, and not only. My, so my, my business partner is actually a filmmaker. Frankie is not coming from technology. This guy did, you know, uh, videos with uh, Red Bull and and Barton snowboards in the last ten years, uh, doing extreme sports. So. Oh, wow. It's a, you, know, yeah.
1: you know, when I watched the BBC special, it looked like you guys were having a lot of fun and I enjoyed that so much. I got really excited when I first heard about KeyPod and I immediately started combing the internet for more information about it. And that's when I landed on a Reddit page and they were discussing KeyPod. One of the posters there, one of the people who wrote in, they wrote that you were considering including a Bitcoin wallet on every KeyPod flash drive. So we would love to know that this is true, but at this point it's really just a rumor and we actually don't really even, Know if you know that much about Bitcoin or if you have any interest in Bitcoin. I'm guessing you might.
3: So it's it's a very interesting opportunity
1: because
3: we think we we don't know yet. Okay, so we are actually studying this, and we and actually anyone who can contribute uh, to to the idea and to us understanding better uh, is is you know is very welcome to to do that because we are trying to understand if this is something that can. Uh, actually empower the people that we are targeting, and my feeling is that yes, and mm-hmm. my feeling is that uh, you know keyboard uh, feels like a very good match for for Bitcoin, and the the, the the you know both from the OS side and the fact that you have your own hardware is is perfect, mm-hmm. and the idea that you can actually you know, bypass so many limitations that we have today when it comes to, you know, money transfer and getting funds from one place to the other, one person to the other. Um, this might be very interesting. In in Nairobi, we see something that is called uh, M-Pesa. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, uh, Yeah. so they do everything uh, with uh, mobile payments. They don't use cash. Right. And I don't see any, any reason why they will not be eager to do that with Bitcoin. So, you know... It's an opportunity.
2: Yeah, I mean, in the Bitcoin world, just the concept of having an operating system built into a USB flash drive and using that in order to create wallets and send Bitcoin back and forth, that's already in existence. That's already the way that uh, is sort of the smartest way to carefully and securely create your wallets.
1: Right. And I think that anybody using Bitcoin, if they can take their keypot out of the computer knowing they're not leaving any trail at all, what a thrilling thing for new Bitcoin adapters and really for anybody that uses Bitcoin on their computer, because that's a big Fears that after you're finished doing whatever you're doing with Bitcoin or with this site or that site, you've left information there, and that that computer can be hacked, and that people can steal your private keys for the Bitcoin. So that's uh, that's something that seems really important. You know, Andreas Antonopoulos, I remember him talking about how it's difficult here in the United States to get people interested in Bitcoin because you have to go through this long explanation. Plus, you're fighting what the media has to say about money laundering and all these scary things. Um, but when he's been to Kenya. And he talked to the people there. As soon as he said, oh, it's like M-Pesa, they immediately understood what Bitcoin was. And I thought that was so cool. So I think the same thing would be true with Nairobi and other places in Africa.
3: Since, uh, you know, Reddit uh, discussion started, I got um, requests from India, uh, China, Malaysia, and some other countries saying, uh, are you going to do that? And they really dig this, you know, looks like they... Completely understand when what's the potential here. Here you have a strong community there of people who understand what is Bitcoin. so we will be happy to, to to get some advice there and and to see if we can design something smart into this because indeed we don't know this world very good. you know we are not experts in Bitcoin and here you know if the scale that we are looking to do here with keypod and the project will work, well, we need to design it properly and make the right choices there.
2: Well, Nissan, let's use this opportunity here to put a call out to our listeners and ask them for contributions of any comments or ideas they might have for what would work well for KeyPod, and we can make sure that gets to
1: you. Calling all listeners. listeners. Calling all listeners. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, (laughs) Lidge.
2: Well, Nissan, thank you so much for joining us here on Bitcoins and Gravy today. The KeyPod project is just fascinating, really fascinating stuff. And also the concept that you might be able to bring this together with Bitcoin just seems to make a whole lot of sense. I know there's lots to explore, but it sure sounds like it's a perfect fit.
1: It really does. And, you know, just thinking about uh, the disenfranchised people here in the United States, in the cities, um, and, you know, just throughout the country that really don't have any access to what a lot of other people do. It just seems like such an important thing that you guys are doing. And it sounds to me like you guys are not doing this to try to make a bunch of money. You guys are doing this to really help. Is that right? (laughs) that's true (laughs) everybody look
3: at me kind of weird when we talk about this we went you know to to our accounting uh, to our accountant and he was like Okay, I'm not, reg- I'm not used to have customers like you. I don't know how to handle this. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> oh, man.
2: It's a little bit w- like when, when um, Nikola Tesla was talking with J.P. Morgan and Morgan looked at him, he's like, how are we going to charge for this? I don't understand. When <laughs> he was offering free energy to the world.
1: Oh, man. Well, I think what you guys are doing is fantastic. And again, watching that BBC video, everybody should watch it. Uh, can you tell our listeners how they can watch that BBC video and also how they can find you and how they can get involved?
3: Keypod BBC on Google will definitely will bring that up. Keepod.org is our URL. You can go there. There are a lot of links in the blog for sure. You'll see also the video of the BBC. And that's it, guys. It was really, really a pleasure you know, talking with you guys and really, really thank you for all the kind words and the ideas that your pitching here with the Bitcoin is, is amazing for us.
1: I would have to say if you get a chance to listen to Andreas Antonopoulos, he's the Bitcoin guru, really, to just go and listen to some YouTube videos and listen to him speak. Uh, he's a great educator, he's a great speaker, and his heart is in the right place. He's the one that talks about the other six and a half billion people in the world that don't have financial systems or access to financial systems like we do, who are basically financially disenfranchised. So you know, what you're talking about, helping the five and a half billion people that don't have computers and don't have cell phones and access to that. He's talking about pretty much the same thing. So I think that you guys could work hand in hand. I would love to see somehow um, you and Andreas get together and have a meeting of minds, a meeting of great minds. That,
3: that would be amazing. That would be amazing. And it sounds so in line with what we are doing. I told you Kipot is about um, not only the operating system and about an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Ecosystem means a lot of things around it. It can be from, you know, the more simple thing that we've been talking about is refurbishing computer, how to get the 85,000 computer from day to Nairobi or wherever. But it's also what's surrounding it. And and financial system is a key, key, key element in this, you know. Well, so.
2: I like it when you say ecosystem. Um, uh, ecosystem. It, it sounded a little bit like um, equal system to me, and you're really kind of creating an equal system to just bring equality of computing to people around the world.
3: That's actually the idea. Nice. That's, that's actually the idea, guys. This is amazing. So I'm so happy we connected. Really. Talk soon then. Okay. Keep thanks. Keep in touch. Really.
1: Thanks, Nissan. Bye.
3: Cheers. Bye. Bye.
1: So Lidge, I need to talk about the Bitcoins and Gravy contest for a minute. On last week's show, we told our listeners about how they can enter to win 0.25 Bitcoins. That's one quarter of a Bitcoin And that calls for a hearty mmm, mmm, mmm. So if you're interested in entering the contest, here's what you do. Using your smartphone, video camera, or any video camera, record yourself singing along, playing along, or dancing along to the song Ode to Satoshi. Your performance can be 10 seconds long or 3 minutes long. That's up to you, the listener, and how creative you feel like being. Once you've recorded your performance, upload it to YouTube and give it a name. Then email us or call us on the hotline and let us know how to find you on YouTube. If you need further technical assistance, just ask. We're happy to help. That's right. We're making a music video for the song and we want you, the listener, to be in the video. Since we know we're going to get more than just a few submissions, Lidge and I have decided that we will probably include at least a half a dozen or more of these performances in the video. So how are we going to decide who the winner is? That's easy. The winner is the one that Lidge and I like the best. So get out your video cameras and start creating for a chance to win 0. 0.25 and bitcoins. bitcoins. Mm, mm, mm. Now that's gravy. So today we welcome Nick Gogarty, the founder of SolarCoin and principal of value creation consulting firm Thoughtful Capital Group. Nick, welcome to the show. Yeah,
0: thank you very much
1: excited to be here.
2: Nick, it's a pleasure to have you here on Bitcoins and Gravy with us.
1: So, Nick, where would you like to start? Uh, I know that you've written a book entitled The Nature of Value. That's how to invest in the adaptive economy. Can you tell us what you mean by the adaptive economy and how does that fit into SolarCoin? I know you have an extensive background in investing and in economy. How does all of this fit into SolarCoin? The
0: book, uh, The Nature of Value, deals with the economy, and the creation of economic value uh, as an adaptive process. And that process works a lot like nature. I spent about, personally, 25 years investing and working with different groups, including the world's largest uh, banks and hedge funds. And then four years of that research uh, boiled down to that book. Part of that book deals with money and how money works. And that kind of deals with just a solar coin and the creation of that. Mm -hmm. Basically, the thinking behind solar coin is that a currency or a form of money effectively is, and this is going to sound a little strange, but it's really a social protocol. Money is a way for all of us to exchange efficiently value. And so as a social protocol, the more people that agree to and accept a form of money, whether it be dollars, gold, Bitcoin, solar coins, etc., the more utility, the more value that, that form of money or that currency has. And that's part of the research that came out of the book I and mean, part of my work involved in that. Uh, my background in foreign currency goes all the way back to the age of 17 uh, when I was trading Japanese yen futures. That uh, was back in 1987. Mm-hmm. So, being a proprietary trader for one of the world's largest banks uh, mm-hmm. in London, which is kind of the forex headquarters of the world and having worked with various hedge funds here in the States. So a bit of background in money and, and some other things. And of course, the book is being put out by Columbia University, same place that you know, Warren Buffett went to school, and the book is on
1: value. Awesome. So yeah. I've got a bit of, bit of a background in economics and money. Well, that's pretty impressive. I, I think we should begin by maybe bragging about you a little bit. Um, you worked with the world's largest hedge fund, Bridgewater Associates, $150 billion, being a quantitative forex analyst for Banque Nationale de Paris, <laughs> $2 trillion balance sheet, founding software startup and strategic risk firms, chief analyst at Starlab, a deep future multidisciplinary science research institute. And I think there was something there that had to do with like, research into time machines or something like that,
0: black <laughs> well, holes and at, time at, machines. Exactly. At, at one point, the Institute was modeled on the MIT Media Lab and had some people from the MIT Media Lab on board. And, and there was a theoretical physicist who was researching uh, some of those things among some more, let's say, what we call uh, applied science areas, uh, material sciences, life sciences, um, media studies. Uh, I was overseeing three different schools of uh, artificial intelligence at one point in terms of research. So wow. uh,
1: some interesting stuff. Yeah, it's really yeah, fun. And, uh, and building risk models for global banks. Uh, I, I wrote that you had done that. That's uh, pretty heavy stuff, man. So, you know, your background in finance and investing, it seems like anybody who's interested in investing in solar coin, they might want to listen to you.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, ultimately, everyone has to listen to themselves and look around at what they think is, is correct, what they think is true, and it's going to be the most interesting. But feel free to, uh, uh, you know, read what I have to say. and If you agree with the arguments, it could be very interesting.
2: Well, so tell us more about SolarCoin and why we should be interested in investing in it.
0: Sure. Um, You know, the original idea came from a white paper that I drafted with a co-author, Joseph Tolley, who you've uh, interviewed earlier. Mm -hmm. And in that white paper, there was the concept of an energy-packed currency. And at the time, in 2011, that concept wasn't really feasible unless you had um, your own central bank uh, to, to implement. Now, with the provability or the fact that that Bitcoin uh, technically works and that anyone can, in essence, issue a currency that is robust and transparent to, let's say, over issuance or over circulation, that premise became viable and potentially viable an energy-backed currency. And then, when looking into it, realized that it could be used to do good. By backing solar energy with that currency and having that currency represent solar energy, the Solcoin idea is—you know—it's a subset of this energy-backed currency idea. And the realization was that the proof of work inherent in acting as a distribution mechanism and as a verification mechanism, Bitcoin, instead of using a purely cryptographic proof of work, why not use the real world? physical proof of work and that real world physical proof of work is the production or generation of solar energy. And so that's tied into solar coin. What ends up happening is anyone who produces uh, one megawatt hour of solar energy in the world anywhere with a facility can claim one of these solar coins. And that's viewed as an equitable means of distributing the currency while also acting as an incentive to produce more solar energy globally. And there's a pre-mine that was set up that's anticipated to last at least 40 years to incent um, solar energy globally.
1: Can you tell us uh, about how the solar coin mining differs from Bitcoin mining? Sure. Um, most of it is
0: similar. It's based off of uh, a Litecoin fork, and that'll that'll produce roughly, based on the design, about 105 million coins, based on the half life, etc. The rest of the coins were pre mined, and so the only way to earn them, or the proof of work required to get those coins, is to submit a verifiable proof of production of solar energy. Mm-hmm. And so each verified one megawatt hour of energy produced entitles the claimant to a solar coin. And to date, we've had claimants from 11 countries. So it's rolling out pretty well. We just, uh, just gave coins out to Cyprus and Austria over the weekend, and we look forward to adding more countries.
2: Help us understand a little bit. Script mining is going to get more and more difficult as more miners get involved. Is it similar to Bitcoin in that way? Will the mining become more difficult?
0: It's similar to Bitcoin in the fact that the algorithm and the effort required does something called retargeting so that it adjusts relative to the effort applied to it. So there's a constant issuance or rate of the coin.
2: Okay. And then when it's issued to people who are generating one megawatt of solar energy, it seems that one megawatt of solar energy is going to become easier and easier to generate as solar energy is adopted globally. How does that translate?
0: Yeah. And, and so here's what ends up happening. The mining effectively, because the half-life only lasts really for four years. So there's a one-year half-life and about 95, 98% of the coins will be mined in the first four and a half years. So what will end up happening is as the mining tapers off with the exception of, let's say, transaction-based rewards. The real circulation mechanism will become the granting or the basically giving away of solar coins to people who produce solar electricity. Now, one megawatt hour of solar electricity is quite a bit. That's about enough to keep the average American home powered for a month. So what will end up happening is over time, like, for example, last year, globally, there are estimated to have been about 160 million megawatt hours of electricity produced with solar energy that would equate to 160 million potential claimable solar coins. That amount grows or is anticipated to grow 20 to 30% per year over the next 20 to 30 years. That's good news. Yes it is. And and the neat thing about energy and almost any economic process, and part of the research from my book, The Nature of Value, is that any manufacturing process or production process gets cheaper as you make more of it. As more value flows through the economic system, it gets cheaper. And the cool thing about solar energy is every time we, globally, we produce or double the number of solar panels we produce, you know, so we ship, let's say, an extra you know, 2x gigawatts of solar panels, the cost drops 22%. And that's kind of like a Moore's law of solar energy. And that's held up uh, for about the last 20 or 30 years. So to produce one uh, a solar panel that would make a watt of power back in the 70s costs about a thousand bucks. Now costs just under a dollar. Wow. Uh, and wow. so as an energy is a pure commodity, it's, you know, it's, it's a price thing. And so what ends up happening is you've got this commodity that's dropping in price by a factor of 22 percent every time you ship. Two x more.
2: It's quite different from gasoline.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. It, it gets uh, more difficult. Well, parts of gasoline get cheaper with volume, but also it gets more difficult to find it as it gets in more, uh, let's say, you know, deeper rock formation, etc. You know, with the exception of shale, we won't get into the technical discussions on that. So the interesting thing about solar is it's one of these things where. As you ship more solar uh, panels, you produce more energy. It gets cheaper, so you sell more. And then, as you sell more, it gets cheaper faster. So, solar energy is going to be one of the most interesting things right now. Its its cost is not fixed; it's a moving target, and so it's going to get cheaper, better, faster globally very quickly. And you're in a space, namely global energy, where. You're talking about hundreds of billions and trillions of dollars of capital investment. SolarCoin acts as an incentive to help people uh, make that choice. So let's say a SolarCoin, which right now has a de minimis value, but let's say as we grow up the economy of SolarCoin holders, uh, if it were to go to... $10 $10 per megawatt hour, all of a sudden, the individual looking at putting solar panels on their roof or in a village or in an area might say, oh, wow, not only do we get the solar energy, but we get the benefit of claiming the solar coin as an incentive. That's pretty cool. Now, the value of a currency has uh, two factors that drive it. One is speculative, and the other one is transactional. Economists call these uh, the two utility functions of a currency. So the more people that uh, hold or agree to or believe in a currency... Uh, the more transactional value it has. So, you know, a dollar you can use almost globally because everyone agrees and they understand what a dollar value is. The dollar protocol is global. Um, so the current holders or the universe of Bitcoin holders is estimated, I think, at about half million to two and a half million users, uh, last report I saw. Now, the cool thing about that is that's pretty small in the Internet world, and yet Bitcoin has what's called the market cap of, you know, roughly five
1: to five and a half billion dollars. Right. right. Almost six billion. I like to say it, six billion. It makes me feel better.
0: So, you know, the, the cool thing is um, we are at what I call the CompuServe era of, of this technology or this protocol. Uh, CompuServe, if you remember back in the early 80s, everyone had uh, email addresses that were numbers. Um, it was clunky. Nobody used it. Nobody liked it. It was ugly. And that's really the great news for Bitcoin. The software is horrible. The wallets aren't user friendly. Your aunt or uncle can't really figure it out, etc. And the great news is you got a six billion dollar economy out there with something that engineering wise works, but from a usability perspective, it's horrible. Once that usability gets solved or improved and we move from the CompuSov era and have what I'd call the AOL moment, you're going to be seeing an explosion into something really interesting for a lot of the alt-currency spaces. And what I mean by that is you move from a $6 billion economy to you know a 10 or 100x one. Whether that happens in the States or in some other country that adopts the, the currency and the protocols, that remains to be seen. You know What isn't known by a lot of people is the average fiat currency or government currency lasts 27 years. That equates to about a 3% failure rate, and I can give you guys the links on that. Now, we're used to the dollar and the pound and these other currencies that have been around for hundreds of years. But depending on what country you're in, if you have a fairly unstable currency and there's a problem, you might be very interested in an alt currency that is easily accessible, not as controllable and easy to park into a smartphone. And with $20 and $40 smartphones emerging in the next two or three years, Uh, things could get very, very interesting, uh, both for Bitcoin and the altcoin space. And, And we think SolarCoin is going to ride along with it, and we hope to do a lot of good.
2: Mm-hmm. To focus on the value of SolarCoin in the future, wherein Bitcoin becomes harder and harder to create, and the value yeah. also goes up partly through that, I think, in SolarCoin, the value is going to rise or fluctuate with the speculative volume and also with the ability to trade in SolarCoin and use it for transactions down in the future, even though it's going to be easier to acquire.
0: Right. Yeah. You have two sides of that equation, supply and demand. And the supply side is the granting and the mining. So the more people, or the easier that it is to get to coin by receiving a grant for generating electricity or if mining gets harder that's the supply side the demand side uh, which is like you know what the heck is this thing worth what's its value is going to be a mix of the speculative belief in how high or where it's going in the future and the utility function how many people can you trade swap get something with this currency for that's about it it's you know we're very focused on ease of use growing that economy through ease of use. Uh, We're working on improving our our communication and our our messaging, et cetera, to try and get to the broader audience of people who aren't as familiar with, and frankly, don't even really need to know all of the, the plumbing under the coin.
1: Nick, one thing I'm still unclear about is how do the producers of solar energy, how do they prove to you that they've produced the solar energy? What is the proof that allows you then to award them solar coins?
2: Yeah, where's the proof of work?
1: Sure, exactly. The proof
0: (laughs) of work um, is a a submitted verification from the uh, energy meter in the home. So if you have a a, a solar panel on your roof, it produces DC power, and that gets converted into AC power for your house. That conversion goes through something called an inverter. And the inverter also works like a meter, and it shows exactly how much has been produced. And a lot of these things are online. So our first grant, for example, to a woman named Lisa Shockley in Arizona, she just sent us a link to her inverter, and that feed was online. I think she was a Solar City customer. And you could look up online and say, oh, yeah, you know, she has X number of solar panels on her roof, and you can verify that lots of ways. It ties out to what she says she claimed is on the power, and the inverter images and documentation all looked like that was verified. Working on developing software so that we can show those verifications to the community, so you'll be able to dial up, uh, especially for the larger solar farms, you'll be able to dial up and say, well, how are these verified? who verified and, and said this was okay, and what was the means.
1: I always want to just say, can't we just throw it onto the blockchain, timestamp it and say, look, this is proof?
0: Well, what we're going to be doing is is the grants will all go into the blockchain and, and there'll be a transaction message that will tie out um, who the generator was in terms of what the source was, who made the claim, how much the claim was for, and that data is going to include, you know, the latitude of where the person's at, what's called the nameplate capacity or the capacity uh, for the solar generating roof. So it's going to be, hey, it's uh, Bob Smith, five kilowatts on the roof between June and July in Arizona, and you know, claimed five solar coin, etc.
1: Nice.
2: Okay, cool. So for our listeners, say for a listener who's an absolute beginner at this, how would they go about right now getting some solar coin? Can you explain it, the basics?
0: Sure. There are a couple of ways. Um, Obviously, you could buy it on an exchange and and those are listed on the site. Uh, As a claimant, let's say you have solar panels on your roof, just go to the, the website, download a wallet, and then fill out the form, submit the claim. There are about probably 10 or 15 pieces of data we need. And if you have solar on your roof, you're going to know pretty much what those pieces of data are in terms of, oh, here's the type of meter, here's how much you generated. The same way that you might look at your electricity bill and say, I used 50 kilowatt hours last month, you'll go and you'll be able to look either online because you'll get it from whoever's probably providing or monitoring and managing your solar panel. You'll have a little report that'll say, oh, you generated 50 kilowatts. You just put that in the form. It usually takes 10 to 15 minutes to do the first the first time.
2: Okay. Mm -hmm. And so for somebody who might be a beginner, for example, they may have experience with solar panels and having solar energy, but this whole concept of solar coin and Bitcoin may be new to them. How would you describe what downloading a wallet means to them?
0: Sure. Uh, Just go to the homepage. Uh, You'll download a piece of software that will sit on your computer. It'll sync up with the blockchain or this large ledger of all the transactions.
1: And we should let people know that the faster your computer is, the faster it will do that. And if you have a really slow computer, it could take half of your day. (laughs) Yeah and it just
0: runs in the background so you have to be patient and then inside that that piece of software which is called your wallet, which is basically where you're gonna store your coins, you'll get an address that will be the, you know, receiving address. And that's basically where you ask people to send your solar coins to. And take that address, put it with your other information into our website on the claim form. It's right up there next to the homepage. There's a button for claiming solar coins. And usually within three to four days, your solar coins will be sent out and you'll get an email and you're part of the process and you're part of the solar coin community.
1: That's That's cool. uh, That's well explained. And I guess the the form that they fill out then to verify the production of solar energy, that's also probably fairly straightforward. Yes,
0: it is. we're, We're designing it to be as simple as possible. And right now, because we're in the early phases, we're learning how to make it as simple as possible and just building out the database to automate it more. So right now for our volunteers in our community, it's a very manual process to do all that stuff, you know, across 11 countries, as you can imagine.
2: So now what uh, do you have a term or a name for the people who have downloaded wallets? You know, the volunteers in the SolarCoin community, are they are they referred to as the planets or you know, the <laughs> flares? Or?
1: How about the sun gods?
0: <laughs> you know, we, we don't. Um, one of the fun things about the whole process is the communities come up with some great names and concepts. And it's fun to watch the whole thing grow organically. And that's that's really fun. So from the name of the smallest unit uh, being a photon instead mm. of a satoshi, yeah. uh, someone <laughs> refers to the currency now as solars, which kind comes? of similar to dollars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have to see. You know Again, uh, let people self identify. and It'll be one of the great things when, uh, when people come up with a nickname of, of how they want to be called.
2: Okay, so now did we explain to a beginner how they might go about mining some solar coin at this point?
0: Yeah, uh, mining solar coin is, is really like any alternative currency. Um, there are a couple ways to try and, and go about that. Um, one is the wallet itself. If you download the piece of software from the website, it allows you to mine the solar coin. That being said, The difficulty now found in the currency is so high that really mining with a PC isn't worthwhile, it's not efficient. So, you know, if you really want to get into mining, it's more for the techie people who probably are already miners.
1: Or the gaming folks that have GPUs sitting around?
0: Yeah, the GPUs, they can either use a GPU, you know, or you go and, and join a mining pool and lease a mining rig which I'm not going to try and explain that to people. I I think they can probably find better explanations online to do it. Yeah, there's a lot of information
1: online about that.
0: Exactly. And, And it's just like any other coin. Uh, from from that aspect of the
1: mining. Well, great.
2: Well, thank you so much. That was a lot of great insight into SolarCoin and just the process of investing and in the value of money.
1: I agree. And you know, I still like to think of the sun as the giant nuclear energy plant in the sky, right? Uh, without the associated risks of uh, radiation, without the associated risks of uh, nuclear waste and uh, Fukushima-style uh, problems. That's yeah. that's my perspective.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm actually working on reviewing a paper for uh, an astrophysicist at Harvard, um, and he's doing some stuff on economics, and, and he's under the same agreement that the most effective means of uh, energy, from a safety perspective, a biosafety perspective, over you know 100, 200 years, is solar, uh, because it doesn't have a thermal footprint, uh, which nuclear and and other fossil fuels and other things
1: have, uh, right. which is so large. Yet, yeah. And yet we still have goofy people out there who are, you know saying, "Why solar? We've got plenty of coal and." <laughs>
0: Well, it's, it's always good to have a diversity of opinions and, and uh, well-thought-out arguments. And the good Nicely news put. is that solar's getting cheaper all the time. And, and so eventually it just becomes a simple uh, economic argument.
1: Where yeah. I, so the uh, last thing I'd like to ask is you wrote uh, somewhere I read, the nature of value is the economy of life. Can you close our interview with uh, some words of wisdom for our listeners?
0: The economy, long term, will continue to grow, find and invest and allocate to stable things that contribute value to us all. And those will grow.
2: Like the sun.
1: Nice.
0: There
2: we
1: go. (laughs) I'm investing in the sun. Thank you so much.
2: (laughs) All right. Nick, Nick, thank you so much for joining us today on Bitcoins and Gravy. And we look forward to seeing what happens with SolarCoin and hopefully speaking with you again down the road.
1: Great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nick. We really appreciate you being here. All right. Take care. Bye.
2: Thanks to today's guests on the show, Nissan Bahar of Keypod and Nick Gogarty of SolarCoin. To find out more about our guests and sponsors, visit our show notes at bitcoinsandgravy.com slash episode 17. Thank you so much for listening to our show. We greatly appreciate your time and attention. If you like the show, please remember to go to iTunes and leave us a review. Also hit the subscribe button if you'd
1: like to hear from Bitcoins and Gravy each week. And remember the Bitcoins and Gravy hotline. Have you ever wanted to be a podcaster? Then call us at 615-208-5198 and leave us a message with your comments, questions, or complaints. This is your opportunity to tell us what you think. If you give us permission, we will put you on the show. So call the Bitcoins and Gravy Hotline at 615-208-5198. That's right. That's the Bitcoins and Gravy Hotline. And of course, we offer a number of ways for you to download all of our past podcasts. You can go to letstalkbitcoin.com or directly from iTunes, or you can go to our website, bitcoinsandgravy.com. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and leave a review or comment on iTunes or SoundCloud. Let us know what you like or where we can improve.
2: And remember, it's your reviews and comments that help new listeners discover Bitcoins and Gravy, plus all the other great shows on the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast network. And we thank you for your generous tips and donations. I'm John Barrett. And I'm Lyd Shaw.
1: And you've been listening to Bitcoins and Gravy from East Nashville, Tennessee.